around London uh, many, many times, and <clears throat> he has discovered uh, bookstores, and some are not even really bookstores, they only sell online, but he's made friends with some of these men, and we went to out-of-the-way places, um, took a train about an hour outside of London, found a little little town I'll never forget that town because we were walking down the street and there was different shops down the street and you can get your hair cut there the the name of the the place to get your hair cut was called the blind barber you went in there by faith not by sight in between these two old, really old buildings, we walked down um, to the basement, steep basement, walked into this, um, to this musty room. The dust inside of these places was not dirt, but they were the fine particles left behind by the aged pages of some books. Most of them were over 400 years old, and you had to be real careful. They would they would crumble in your fingers. I sat in a corner in one of those places and, and because we'd walked in just that, uh, you could see the light, they turned the lights on and you could see that fine papyrus mist floating through the air. <clears throat> I read words that are mostly unused today. Um, it is said that we use probably, the average person probably uses about 8,000 different words. Um, Shakespeare used 46,000 different words. That's why most of us can't understand anything that he wrote. Uh, those numbers vary a little bit from region. The phrasing of such thoughts made me uneasy as I read, knowing how loosely my own words have become. Those theologians and ministers that wrote about the Bible, they predated so many. All of those authors lived and died long before our constitution was penned. Our nation was yet to be conceived. Our churches undiscovered <clears throat> when so many of those men sought for God and they poured over the scripture with fervency and prayer. So I read on and much of their thoughts came before any of us, it humbles me to consider that in fact I am probably nothing more than a faint echo of the many voices seeking for God and preaching his word. If I achieve anything here, it's only because I'm following the pattern that was set before me and I did not create it. So today my title is taken from a small insert I remember in one of those old books and it cannot be considered modern by any measure it is this how oft to heed the heading how oft to heed the heading and I read from Genesis chapter 13 verse 10 I'll read and I'll pray and then we'll be seated Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld the plain of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom, 
Gomorrah, this was a beautiful place. Even as the garden of the Lord. Hmm. Like the land of Egypt. As you come unto Zoar, this was a very lush place, a beautiful place. Lot chose him the plain of Jordan. He journeyed east. They separated themselves one from another. Abram or Abraham, he dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. Pitched his tent toward Sodom. Did you see that? He, he set up his house toward Sodom. The men of Sodom were very wicked. They were sinners before the Lord. They did seeding wickedness. I'll read one last verse. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, eastward, westward. I just really wanted to encapsulate that first phrasing of verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, after that Lot was separated from him, how oft to heed the heading. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Add a blessing to the preached word. Bless all the people that are here and all the people that are watching. Bless all the saints here and abroad, those that are traveling. Keep them, those that are ill. Heal them. I pray your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to someone by you and just tell them, how beautiful they look today. And don't lie. Say it by faith if you have to. hope you'll read your Bible this year all the way through. Find you a good one-year Bible. I think the bookstore has plenty. And read your Bible all the way through. If you'll spend a little bit of time reading your Bible each day, it's not hard to read the entire thing. And I was taught years ago through a program called Bible Quizzing, where we memorize scripture that every moment that I read the Bible or memorized the Bible, I was, in fact, spending time with God. If you're reading from Genesis 1, 2,000 years of history, blanket the first 11 chapters of the book of the Genesis. It's a dash. We are racing through creation. There are minimal pictures of the Bible's first family. Noah sits at the end of a godless society. The Tower of Babel will then emerge until finally the scattering of people stops almost immediately with Abraham, who will then by himself occupy the next 14 chapters of the Bible. 2,000 years and 11 chapters. Abraham's life in 14 chapters. Abraham was given a covenant by God. It differentiated him from every human that will ever live. And yet, he was but a type of things to come. A better covenant, ladies and gentlemen, was coming. And you have it. <laughs> You've got it. 
Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says this. By faith Abraham when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance he obeyed. He went out, notice, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. He is the embodiment of blessing. Abraham showed us something. It came from blind obedience. It's so easy to say, I will obey. But we all struggle with obeying a word that cannot be substantiated. Abraham walked without sight before it became a testimony or a preaching point. It was by association that his nephew Lot was blessed. Abraham held in his hand the covenant of God. Lot, his nephew, just tagged along. Abraham was the leader, the keeper, the man of faith. Lot was just part of the crew, the family, those who walked behind him. But by virtue of association, Lot experienced great gain. And yet, he did not recognize the reason for his increase He was just living off the spoils, the spillover, without ever recognizing the value of the covenant keeper that was his uncle. And to my amazement, when both Abraham and Lot's sheep and oxen had increased and their servants increased and they began to quarrel and order was lost, I am amazed that Abraham offered a way out for his insensitive and oblivious nephew and Lot took a way out. Lot took his uncle's offer, separated himself. Just five words in our English translation was all it took to describe the downward spiral of Lot's life. I'll quote it again. Lot was separated from him. The finality of it all strikes me to the core. Please consider with me the conveyance of Lot. Abraham will move himself away. He will set up his life in another place, Canaan. Lot will basically stay in the place of this valley. It's lush greenery. It's compared to the Garden of Eden. The rich soil had rivers and streams, even as the Garden of the Lord. There was no reason to leave that place. This is where Lot set up his tent. And to that point, I want you to see what it meant. It meant that Lot set up his household. His tent meant his household. His sheep, his oxen, his servants, his family, they were all there. He lived in that place, the valley of Jordan, where the rain flowed down the hillside and pools of water became natural ponds. No wells were dug there. They were not needed. No searching for water or food or comfort. It is critical today that you know what I'm about to say. Please listen very closely. Up to this point, ladies and gentlemen, Lot had done nothing evil in the sight of the Lord. He was just living... In the lush valley of the Jordan. Yes, he was a foolish young man to leave his uncle. He was arrogant in thinking that he was the cause of his own blessing. Many have joined him in the same vain thought. Many do not know the process or the whereabouts of their blessing. I know today that my parents' sacrifice and devotion has manifested a harvest in my life. (laughs) 
I know that what they planted, I am able to reap. Lot should have abandoned his wealth. He should have stayed with his uncle. All of that was true, but to this point, hear me now again. Lot was not part of that wicked world, soon to be smothered by fire. His family was not living in Sodom. His children were not part of Gomorrah, are part of that corrupt system. He was near, but not there. It wasn't even the distance that was the problem. It wasn't his distance that was the issue. It was his heading. And that shall always be the indicator of life. Lot lived outside of it. The boundaries of the debauchery and immorality and depravity that existed in Sodom and Gomorrah did not reach his tent or his family or his things or his servants. It was not where he was living that gives us cause to consider his placement. It was his heading. His direction was pointed to a place of destruction and he didn't even know it. But like so many people who excuse themselves for their placement, they fail because they do not consider where they are going. How oft to heed the heading. If you could speak to Lot today, if you could have talked to him in that moment even, you would have very little to say. He was not living in sin. He was not a citizen of those cities. He paid no taxes to those places. He had no alliances with the people. He was removed from them, outside of them. He might even argue that his children were not affected and would not be affected. He was outside of the limitations and the boundaries, the city limits. But things are going to change. He will move where he is looking because that is the law of motion. (laughs) Desire is a storyteller all her own. Placement is not. Desire is. Heading is. What Lot will end up doing is horrible. And if you read your Bible, you'll find some very unsavory verses in that story that most public forums will not entertain. Lucky for you. I just preached the Bible and spare very little, but I'll be considerate today. Eventually and inevitably, Lot will move where he is heading. He will live in the direction of his sight. He will become so vexed when he moves there, so cold and indifferent to the perverseness of his neighbors, that he will offer his daughters like tokens. And I cannot go much further than that. You'll have to read it. Read your Bible and then come back to me, ladies and gentlemen, and argue your point that your position, your placement is just fine. Tell me or convince yourself that just because you are not lost that you are saved. How oft to heed your heading? How often should you pay attention to where you're going? How often should you pause and say, let me just see where my life is pointed? How often should we pause and stand still and look up and say, mm, I'm, good in, I'm going in the right direction or I'm going in the wrong direction? You could have argued with him, but he would have said, I'm living good. I'm okay. Pastor, don't worry about me. I got it together. I'm not sinning. And no minister, no pastor can even approach anyone and say what needs to be said because 
There is a resistance because as long as you are living outside of the boundaries of sin, you don't think there's a problem. And I wish I was a little bolder to approach everybody individually, but I'm not, I'm not the sheriff of Nottingham trying to find out what you're doing wrong. But I have a feeling, but I have a spiritual inspiration that your placement might look okay, but your heading is wrong. And Lot set up his tent, his house, to face the location of his desire. And that's always the case. We point our faces in the direction of our desire. His direction, ladies and gentlemen, determined his destination. And that shall always be. I was in and out of sleep when I saw something. I I don't know. I wrote it down. I can't say it was a vision or a dream. But I saw something. There were two people. I, I, I saw it just as clear as, as I was watching a film. They were walking toward each other. They both had large baskets in their hands. They were carrying large baskets. They were like a weaving of a basket. They had to have both hands on the basket. I, I, the first one had a basket was full of something. I, I was able to look inside. It appeared to be books with glowing titles. That I could not see all of the books, but I saw three titles of the books jumping out at me. They were glowing. Victory, Victories was one of the titles. Victories. Another said blessings. And the third said confirmations. All of them are glowing and there were others buried beneath them. I couldn't see, but it was filled with these books. The glow of it just emanating from the top of that basket that that they were carrying. But when I looked up at the person's face, they seemed distraught. Something was missing. I saw the other person with a basket. And I looked inside of their basket and it was empty. There were no books or titles. Nothing was glowing inside. I'm in and out of this sleep, this dream, this vision. But when I looked at that person's face, it was lifted up. The brightness of their eyes was something about their countenance. And finally, I watched them. It was like I then was removed from them, and I watched them walk toward each other. They passed each other by. And that's when I realized that one was walking away from the very place that the other was walking toward. That's when I opened up my eyes and I wrote it down on a piece of paper. All of those books filled with testimonies, but headed in the wrong direction. And that empty basket had nothing in it, but heading to the place of promise. I'm not always concerned about where we are as a body or where you are as an individual. We've been at many different spiritual locations and levels throughout these last many years. We have been low. We've seen some dark days. We've had loss of people from death and from those turning away from the doctrine. We've seen some trying times. We have been broken in this house many times and indeed we have been healed. We have cried without resolution. Yes, And we have shouted and danced these aisles. 
We've seen miracles. We've walked out of here on a high. We've been in places, heavenly places. We've also just been in places where everyone and everything seemed to be going well. But I've come to learn this and it's taken me a long time to really learn it. The place is not the indication that I have to consider. It's the heading. There are folks who know the songs and have heard sermons and heard all the lessons. They've got notes and notebooks full of notes. They look like they're in a good place, but the problem is not the place. It's where they're going. And there are people yet to learn. They are learning. They do not know because they have not heard. But their direction is leading them to victory. I see two people and they're walking in opposite directions. They're walking toward each other. One is walking toward commitment while the other is walking away from it. One is walking towards sacrifice while the other is walking towards self-fulfillment so it's not the place that concerns me or brings me joy it is your heading and I feel led in the Holy Spirit today to speak to us consider ladies and gentlemen where you are facing heed your heading <laughs> look at the end of Abraham's life Abraham is an aged man He's going to die very soon. He's been a witness to the wonders of God. The covenant is given to him, passed down to him. That Mount Moriah experience offered him something not many have. He gave God a new name. He called God Jehovah Jireh, Yadra. The Lord will provide. The covenant, the blessing. He turns around, however, and Isaac, his son, is not married. Isaac needs a wife. And so instead of going to Isaac, who's still living in his mother's tent, modern terminology, still living in the basement, he turns to Eleazar and says, I need you to go find a wife for my son. He's not a young man. Isaac's not a young. Notice, Isaac is a middle-aged man. He's 40 years old when he marries Rebekah. Read it in your Bible. Abraham's a little disturbed. We got to have some grandchildren around here. So Eleazar is going to get instructions. Abraham said, you got to find. He says, Eleazar, promise me that you will not go looking among the daughters of Canaan. This is the place where we're living. Don't, don't look around here. This isn't the place to find him a wife. Abraham said in Genesis 24, 4, but we'll go to my country and my relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And Eliezer replied, okay, I'm doing my best. I know you've entrusted me, Abraham. You're the master of the house. I'll go find a wife. Isaac has nothing to do with any of this. This is a, a, an arranged marriage. It's in the Bible. This is Bible. So I'd like to announce in 2021, we will choose from now on. And then we'll institute seven years of work and labor. And all the fathers and mothers said, amen, this is good, sounding good. Come on, free labor. If they don't love her after seven years, find another guy. We'll choose. Mm -hmm. Eleazar is the one who's got to put them together. They don't have e-harmony. 
There's no Christian mingle. Farmersonly.com. Match.com. How about this one? I looked it up. Glutenfreesingles.com. Come on, this is getting really bad now. Come on, people. This is just nuts. Really? Isaac has Eleazar. And Abraham says, do not look around here. These are the daughters of the Canaanites. They got a lot of gods, but they don't have our God. So Eleazar agrees, and then he tries to do a little troubleshooting. You know, he doesn't know what's going to happen. So he says in verse 5 to Abraham, what if the woman that I find is unwilling to come back with me to this land? What if I go back to your country? Shall I then take your son back to the country from where you came from? And with passion, Abraham rises up. He's emphatic because he doesn't want to go back to Ur. And he says in verse 6, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Don't bring him back there. Abraham said unto him, beware that thou bring not my son thither again. That's where I came from. I got out of there. I was called out of there. I left that place. That was pre-obedience. That was B.C., before commitment, before the covenant. That's the wrong direction. If you're looking among the godless, you're looking in the wrong place. If you, your heading is off. And if, you're, if you point your passion in the wrong place, your life will be marred. Can you hear me today? Right direction does not mean effortless. It does not mean the easiest path. Doing what's right and righteousness is not a path paved full of assurances. But if you are heading in the right direction, I guarantee you, you will not live in the wrong place. What was Paul doing when he, before he was baptized? His name was Saul. He'll become Paul. What was he doing? He was zealous, the Bible says. He was persecuting Christians. He was hurting the very people he would one day come to call spiritual family. He was in the wrong direction. He was pointed in the wrong place. And God gave a revelation to Paul. And Ananias, a born-again priest, found him. And under the direction of the Spirit, he baptized Paul, still called Saul. And then the Holy Ghost fell on Paul. But he's not ready to do what God called him to do. He's excited. He's got fire. But he does not have wisdom. (laughs) Acts 9 and 19. This is what happened. He just got baptized. He just received the baptism of the Spirit. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days where the disciples were at Damascus. Straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. What happened? Paul was converted. It's an incredible turnaround. But immediately he is preaching. And the Bible says that he confounds the Jews which were in Damascus. He proves that Jesus is the Christ. But he is not received. And many of them try to kill him. He's uncouth. He doesn't have his act together. He goes to Jerusalem after that, but the disciples in Jerusalem do not welcome him. Most of them are afraid of him. He's too close to his past. They did not accept him as part of them. Here's your Bible, Acts 9, 26. And believe not that he was a disciple. 
So they finally sent him away to Tarsus and it wasn't until Barnabas found him and brought him back to Antioch that Paul actually had a chance to grow. And that was because Barnabas, thank God for Barnabas, he kept Paul for a whole year and did what many scholars believe was nothing short of a mentoring program for a year. Paul, you have passion, you have zeal, your heading is, it's going to be all right. Your placement. But you have to take heed to yourself because your destination is an apostle to the Gentiles and a witness to all of Asia. Some write that Paul was stuck in Tarsus for five years before Barnabas found him. The placement was not good, but the heading was awesome. Paul didn't know it at the time. But one day, he would write about it. His heading. Here is the revelation concerning the matter. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I know. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know where your placement is. All I'm concerned is you're pressing for the mark. I don't know where you are in your walk with God right now. All I'm concerned about is where you're looking, where your direction is. You can tell me I'm not in a good place. That's okay. Just tell me where you're heading. I'm sorry you're not in a good place. But what I'm really concerned about is where you're going. You may not be in a right place. You not, may not feel right about yourself. But where are you going? Heed your heading. I'm thankful that I have a witness in the Bible because I feel, I find myself in this thing. I find it. And I, 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 I speak about Terry and Melanie Shock many times and part of our church, but I was full of fire and energy, but didn't have the substance that I needed. And, and years and years ago, it's probably almost 30 years ago now, he pulled me aside and said, Jeffrey, I, th- I want you to read this book and I, you need to study this. And, and I had talent, but I didn't have substance. And that's a dangerous thing, you know. I could play the saxophone and sing a little bit, but man, there was a lot missing. You know, you can only sing so long. (laughs) Paul was not the only novice that needed help. He wasn't the only one that needed a little bit of direction. Let me tell you about Apollos, who was a mighty man of God. Apollos was a mighty warrior of God. Let me read it to you. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scripture, came to Ephesus. Don't you want to follow him? What a great guy. Eloquent, mighty in the scripture. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, that's passionate. He sounds like an evangelist to me. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. Knowing only the baptism of John. He spake boldly in the synagogue. Whom? When Aquila and Priscilla heard, because they're in the audience, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed, when he wanted to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Did you catch it? Apollos was given the microphone. He was preaching and teaching fervently. He was intelligent and passionate. He was a well put together preacher. He's not in the right place 
because he does not know the full gospel, the death, the burial, or the resurrection. All he has is repentance. He knows something, but he needs some help with his heading. I wonder how many people would have turned him off and walked away and got up out of, out of the service and left and said, you know what, sounds good, but you don't have it together. He had the baptism of John, and that's all he had. He had repentance, and that's all he had. But thank God for a Barnabas who would give direction to Paul. And thank God for Aquila and Priscilla who patiently sat through a meager sermon of Apollos. They got through the sermon. They paid attention to his heart, even though his message was incomplete. Apollos, we want to help you. We want to help you. We can help you with the right direction. And to those who feel a little stagnant in here today, you've been doing well, but you've gotten weary in that place. Don't get discouraged because of your place. Don't go weary, weary in well-doing. Due season is coming. I just want to pause and say there are people with revelation but it's not complete. There are people that sit in this house, they love God but they don't know it all. Don't get discouraged. You need to take them in and love them. Don't worry about where they're at. Worry about where they're going. I'm not worried about where the church is at. I'm, I'm concerned about where we're going. I want to caution all of you who have books mount up in your, in your life. Those books are books of victories. If you opened up the book of victory in your life, you would have, there would be people that would be shouting and they would beg God for a victory like you had. I want to caution some of you who have had so many blessings, you have forgotten how good God has been. If you got that book of blessings, man, you should write some blessings down. Every day you're blessed, you should write, I can't believe this happened to me. Some of you have had confirmations that you should be exactly where you are, but you forgot the confirmation. You belittled the confirmation, and now you've got a basket full of testimonies, but you're walking away. People are looking at you. Well, that, that person's they got their act together. No, they don't. No, they don't. They just have a basket full of wonderful things that God's given to them, but they're not headed in the right direction. How oft you should heed the heading. I got another word for you. Because I'm looking out at people. You're new to the Lord and you're new to new life. And I'm so glad because you haven't heard all of my jokes. I got some good ones. I needed some new people because I don't have any new jokes. I got a couple words for some of you that are new to new life and new to the Lord. Man, you're going in the right direction. <laughs> mm. Don't worry about the status of your basket. Don't worry that you don't have anything in there of substance. Don't compare what's inside of yours, what's not inside of yours, and what someone else has. Because as long as you're walking towards victory, as long as you're walking and pressing toward the mark for the prize of the hot calling of God, it's going to be okay. I don't care about your placement, but just get in the right way. Get in the way called holy. And for all those who judge yourself by your place and you found discouragement because of your place, just 
Take it from me if you can, a little bit by faith. Let's just follow Christ. We're okay. We're not down. Baskets are going to be filled. Victories are going to be forthcoming. Blessings are imminent. And confirmation, confirmations are days away. So heed your heading, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get discouraged about where you are in God. Just get up and say, today's a new day. I'm going to make another commitment. I'm going to make another vow. I don't want to. I don't want to labor on this 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 point here very long. But I I did read again in this year after year after year about New Year's resolutions. Oh, it's incredible the whittling away of the resolution that people were so excited about. I'm not concerned about making a resolution and and then you know kind of backsliding in February with cheesecake. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, people. You know, you're doing so well and then poof, there's a birthday party. I can fast for weeks. But that intermittent fasting, that's not a real fast. It's just... That's just after seven, you just go and open up the refrigerator. You can look. It's a bad direction. That's what's happening, you know. Even Tammy told me, don't look in there. Don't look in there. Don't look in there. She turned her back and I got a piece of cheese. (laughs) I feel so bad. And if you've made a resolution a month ago or last year, if you made a commitment and you failed on that commitment, don't wallow in your failure. Make a new one today. Write a new book today. you got a basket that needs to be filled and you've got a great God who wants to fill it and you're heading in the right direction. You find your place and say, I don't know where I'm at really, but I know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm doing good, but I love God and I'm going to be committed and I'm going to walk every day and I'm going to keep reading and I'm going to keep shouting and I'm going to keep dancing. rise up to say I got a word for the enemy of our soul we may not have it all together but we are pressing toward the mark we may not have our lives all fixed but we are going to do better than we did before because we love his appearing please stand with me right now and I want you to lift up your voice and I want you to call out to God and say Lord today is my fresh commitment today is a brand new vow and I rebuke the enemy that will remind me that I didn't do well before but I'm setting my affection on things above and not on things on the earth ah yes Yes, yes. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us right now, Lord. I take dominion over the spirit of discouragement. I take dominion over the spirit of judgmentalism. 
that rises from the pit of hell, the devil that would accuse us. I pray right now in Jesus' name, let there be a new heading and a new direction and a new purpose. Uh, And we will cast off everything, Lord. We will cast off everything, Lord. I close with this. Many years ago, Tammy and I, we were praying about what new life should be. Oh, I remember those days we were praying about what we would call the church. The body was small and was a lot of lack of faith and people have been praying but we knew immediately that God was going to bring us together and and he did it was a beautiful thing but we were praying what shall new life be and it came to us it was we saw it we wrote it down that we would be a place where no one had a past and everyone had a future. And then I'd have to remind people that that's what the intent of the church was. So I want to remind you that if somebody has fallen seven times and their place is really messed up, they can still get up and head in the right direction. I wonder just with a show of hands how many people have ever made a mistake put your hands down how many people have ever made two mistakes how many people have ever done three dumb things in their life who's on number nine get up look up your redemption draw of nine God's coming back you're not over you're not through You make a fresh commitment today. You resolve right now today. I'm going to cast off the former things. I'm not where I'm going to be. I'm right here, but I'm headed in the right place. I just want to say a little bit. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemy. I know you think I'm over. I know you think I'm done. But don't rejoice against me. When I fall, I'm getting back up. When I get in darkness, the Lord's going to shine a light on me. I'm not through. I got my heading right. I got my direction right. not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare.